Hollywood is rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob Watson! Good afternoon, good evening, hello, 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 wherever you are listening. Thank you for joining us here at Rated LGBT Radio. Uh, We are your ever-present news and information source on the podcast um, spectrum. And uh, we're here for for you again this week with another another exciting program. Um, Today we are going to talk about the extinction of LGBTQ media and major LGBTQ nonprofits as we have known them. Um, all of these entities are in serious trouble right now, um, and we're going to talk about what that means, what's happening. We're going to talk about what the future could look like, and in the um, way that we're going to talk about them, we have one of the superheroes, all-star, um, behind-the-scenes LGBTQ advocates, uh, Bob Wittick and um, he is an expert on the LGBTQ market. Uh, he is president and founder of Wittick Communications. He is the author, co-author of Business Inside Out, Tapping Millions of Brand Loyal Gay Consumers. He has been on the board of directors for the National Lesbian Gay Journalists Association. He has been on the board for the NEA Foundation, the Close-Up Foundation, and the First National Board for the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation, and for um, the Gay, Lesbian, Straight Education Network. Um, And that is, trust me, the tip of the iceberg. Bob is absolutely a superstar at what he does. And um, I'm very anxious to talk to him. Uh, First, I want to bring on my beloved co-host, the esteemed journalist Brody Levesque. Brody, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Rob. Good afternoon to our listeners, or good morning, depending upon where you are when you hear us. So today's been so, a... Buddy, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, today's been another yeah. interesting news day, but ask away. <laughs> oh, it, no, it, it has. I mean, there are, for me anyway, shocking pictures out of Michigan with um, these protesters with guns. I mean, stupid people are scary. People with guns are scary. When you have stupid people with guns, you pretty much have terrorists. And um, I think that's just a horrific, horrific um, example of American expression right now. Um, It is shocking. It's shameful. And I don't really care what their point of view is. The way they're exercising is appalling. Um, But what do you have to say about it, Brody? Well, uh, they are not there to protest. They are there to intimidate. Um, I first caught wind of it earlier this morning, a Michigan uh, state senator that I follow who's actually friends uh, with an activist on the ground uh, in Lansing, who I've known for a while. She was at uh, Equality Michigan for a while. Anyway, the senator, uh, Dana Polhanke, uh sent a text from the Senate chamber, and they were debating uh, what they were going to do with the governor's uh, lifting or non-lifting uh, an extension of the stay-at-home order. And in her tweet, she literally apparently turned her mobile around and shot up into the gallery above the Senate, and she noted that directly above me, men with rifles yelling at us, some of my colleagues who own bulletproof vests are wearing them. I have never appreciated our sergeants at arms more than today. Uh, hashtag Michigan uh, Legislature, M-I-L-E-G. So after seeing that tweet, um, I called uh, to Lansing, uh, and much to my dismay, I found out that, oh, yeah, they can carry firearms in the Capitol building. And I'm like, okay, now this is interesting. They're not allowed to take signs mounted up on sticks because the sticks can be used as weapons and are dangerous. And my immediate question was, so a stick is dangerous, but someone wearing tactical gear and an AK-47 who's not an authorized member of law enforcement is not. Um, And that is not the only Capitol 
in the United States where this has been going on. There have been other instances in other states where these protesters, and I'm putting that in quotation marks, have been showing up uh, in tactical gear or at the very least, you know, carrying some sort of weapon, usually a long rifle like an AK-47 or something of that, you know, nature, um, or an AR-15 or whatever. The, I'm, I'm not a big gun person, so it's whatever a long rifle, assault rifle looks like, I guess. So don't be... They can kill thousands of people in one shot. Yeah. You don't know what you're yeah. talking about, but, you know, you got all this going on. And, um, yeah, so it's kind of frightening. It's kind of scary. And, you know, we're going to have some protests here in California as a direct result. Uh, Governor Newsom ordered Orange County beaches closed, and he was specifically targeting Orange County today after what happened last weekend. The larger jurisdictions of Los Angeles, San Diego County, even up in Santa Cruz County and San Mateo, uh, the other beaches that have you know been closed, people have been following along uh, with the stay-at-home guidelines. Uh, last weekend in uh, Newport Beach, there were images, and I reported on it, and the place was packed. Well, now we're getting word that there's going to be organized protests in Sacramento at the California State Capitol. And, of course, the immediate question I was is, well, how many of these long gun morons are going to show up and protesting, too? So this is becoming a thing. Uh, it's happening virtually all over the place. Um, and like I said to our listeners, please don't flood us with comments on this because I don't know guns all that well. But I do know that these are assault rifles. And I do know that there's no need for this. At the end of the day, um, and it's it, it, this is in protest. This is intimidation, and quite frankly, at the end of the day, these are terroristic tactics. And right. you know, I I've staked out a position for years, uh, particularly since I've had to report on every mass shooting in your country since Columbine High School. Okay, that there is a subset of the American probably white male population that lives in certain places that I refer to as amosexuals because they're more in love with instruments of death than they are with kids or other human beings. And here's another example of it today in Michigan. So yeah, it's just been a long news day. And I'm quite frankly, a little burned out on these idiots. Yeah. And, and I would just uh, caution you not to be sexist because there were plenty of women out there too. Um, oh well, no, oh, no, yeah. absolutely. I, I, know. <laughs> I, 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 you noticed that I left the, you know, the usual references to genitalia out of it. You know, it's usually the making up for lack of because of the gun thing. No, I'm talking homosexuals as a broad ranging. You people are morons. Yeah. You know, yeah. at the end of the day. Right. So Brody, let's let's shift gears to our topic at hand today. Um, can you give us some background before we bring Bob on about? What is happening in the landscape of the LGBTQ publications and the um, major nonprofits? Well, it's it's a problem that exists in all 50 states. It's a problem that exists at a national, state, and local level. Uh, in a virtual town hall meeting, uh, California Senator uh, Scott Weiner pointed out that the LGBTQ nonprofits are on the verge of mass extinction. I noted in my reporting yesterday for the Los Angeles Blade that the metrics and optics of data points for LGBTQ people impacted by COVID-19 are non-existent. And you tie the two of those together. You tie the fact that most LGBTQ publications are on a shoestring budget, including uh, the Los Angeles Blade, uh, who I report for, uh, in addition to my other duties with the wire service. You know, it's, it's a scramble. Uh, And of all of the media, we're probably most at risk. And with the nonprofits, uh, my colleague Michael Labors at the Washington Blade reported yesterday that the Human Rights Campaign laid off 22 of its staffers, and then there was a salary reduction uh, for, you know, other folks uh, in the nonprofit structure. And I'm hearing that GLAD's having the same problems and these other places are having the same problems. But what's scarier to me more than these advocacy groups and equality groups having issues are the nonprofits that are directly uh, in the spaces and and our stakeholders in the day-to-day battle. I'm referring to our LGBTQ centers and our nonprofits that work with the homeless youth, that work with 
you know, people that are at risk. Uh, the Trevor Project, for example, here's an LGBTQ nonprofit that, you know, is just vital. And as long as this COVID crisis continues and there's not funding being made available, uh, in California's case, uh, the LGBTQ caucus and Senator Weiner actually sent a letter to Gavin Newsom and asked the governor point blank, you know, are you going to include in the May 14 budget some sort of considerations, okay, for these nonprofits, particularly these LGBTQ centers that are carrying the water during this crisis? Uh, Karen Oakham, uh, my colleague and the news editor at the Los Angeles Blade, uh, and some of my colleagues and the rest of the, uh, of the press, um, are pointing out that there's information out there that's not being collected and the LGBTQ community is being wrapped up into the greater data points. And that's a real problem because we're being impacted. We're being impacted severely. Okay. We're looking at situations where we need to know exactly how badly we're being impacted. You know, there's enough discussions about not enough data points for the black Americans, for Asian Americans, for Latino Americans, you know, but we're also, you know, a community. We are also an established minority, and we have, you know, issues that we need to have addressed, and especially now, and with us being disappeared, as it were, in a, in a data stream, doesn't help. And then our nonprofits who are critical care for our community, especially even in the best of times, and with this administration constantly attacking us, with the potential for a really bad Supreme Court decision, you know, being handed down between who knows now and the end of term in June, you know, this is all critical. Um, and it was one of the reasons that um, I felt really strongly um, and, and full transparency, Bob's an old friend, but, you know, getting him in to talk to us because I think our listeners and I think people need to understand this is of critical importance to the community. We're not just a statistic. We're not just a, you know, a bit of data. This is flesh and blood human beings that are being affected by this. We need some answers. We're not only losing our nonprofits, but we're losing our voice. When these press outlets fail or cannot publish, okay, the community loses its voice. I'm not saying that those of us in the mainstream, because that is part of what I do for a living, press aren't doing enough, but, you know, we concentrate on a wider range Okay, you know, our, our points, and, and, and we're stakeholders in the larger overview of media. And so it's even more so, you know, to support the LGBTQ press. So that's kind of an overview of, uh, of what's going on, Rob. Um, uh, thank you for that. And I, have, I do have lots of questions, but let's bring Bob on because um, I'm sure he will have some answers uh, to those. Bob, welcome to the show. Well, thank you both very much and for setting the stage. You're very kind with your introduction, Rob. I appreciate it and very happy to hear from you. Well deserved. So how how is the uh the pandemic affecting you, Bob? Well, it's interesting. Um it's for I guess most of us it's been what, six weeks. What I've tried to do is um keep some routine and at the same time um, create new uh, diversions and routine. And I find it, let's put it this way, I think when I started, um, you know, the uh, self-quarantine or whatever it is we're doing, I call it uh, home prison, um, at least I tried to find the uh, upside in everything, Um, you know, reconnecting with a lot of people, um, staying in touch with my clients uh, closely, uh, writing, which I think for all of us who enjoy expression, writing is invaluable. So there are things that I think are upsides, and I try to focus on most of those. Plus, gosh, um, whenever you can get outside your doors and take a long walk, that's a, that's a pleasure that we should never deny ourselves if we can do it. Absolutely. What? Um, so you heard you heard Brody's assessment of what was happening yeah. uh, in the landscape, um, and I also understand that uh, Logo has laid off a bunch of people. I think some of the other major publications are in trouble. Um, You come from a background of, you know, finger on the pulse of what I would term more like the gay market, you know, know, in terms of consumer speak, uh, which, you know, obviously journalism is, you know, ratings and and advertising and all of those um, are the, um, capitalistic backbone of of the journalism industry, whether we like it or not. 
Um, right. How do you see this playing out? Well, I guess uh, with with great dismay, uh, the same uh, as you're experiencing. And I don't think um, the LGBT marketplace is in a different um, shambles than others. Uh, you're witnessing everybody focused on two things, keeping earnings or at least preserving assets if they can. For those who aren't privileged enough to have any assets, they are particularly at risk. We have a lot of people in the community who have little or nothing. And for those, their their struggles are a great deal more serious than mine ever will be. Um, but at the same time, uh, that means that in the market sense, people are focusing on things that they must have rather than what is good to have. They, you can't travel, so that all those budgets are gone. Um, so they're, that's why hotels and airlines and everybody else are savaged. But in addition, um, people are looking so, solely for what they're going to be able to put on the table or what they need to uh, make it through the day. Um, so those companies that are making products that we need or getting them to our door like Amazon does um, are going to actually hire people. So I hope, at least in the near term, that when people need a, an income, they can be, if they're safe and they can be kept safe, then getting into the delivery and and, um, and supply chains is probably the answer for many. Companies have hired thousands of workers in those spaces, uh, but again, um, insofar as they are kept safe from uh, other contact, I think that that may keep some people, their lives uh, together in the interim. I also sense, um, and it's not just the red states, but the need, once the weather gets good, people want to get uh, out of um, isolation. And I have a feeling there's going to be experiments in that in restaurants and other places where people want to congregate if they can safely. And if they can't, they'll do it anyway, which is more worrisome, frankly. Um, so I think there's going to be an emerging uh, broken economy coming out in May and June. By July, there probably will be a full-blown um, you know, uh, expectation that people will be doing more things that they used to do. And if um, it kind of along those lines of, of doing things the way we used to do, um, if if the existing organizations and their current models, um, and I mean that both journalism um, organizations and nonprofit um, altruistic organizations fail because they're structured on a certain um, commercial model, and we we go through this period of a little bit of turmoil of survival. We get through that, and then we're sort of left with this barren landscape. Um, what would you anticipate the new replacement growth organizations that that I'm sure would start to occur would look like, especially given to the point that Brody made earlier that um, a lot of LGBTQ stories and um, information has actually been adopted through mainstream media. I mean, I remember back in the day, um, you know, I I would look at, at the L.A. Times or the New York Times or whatever, and if there was one mention of something LGBTQ, it was astounding where we had our own sideline press that kept, kept us informed. That's not really the case right now. Um, yeah. You know, it, it, we're covered across the board. Um, but what, what do you see the longer-term future looking like? Well, interesting. I, when talking to nonprofits, I'm aware at least that some have had success with the uh, paycheck, paycheck Protection Program and probably with a, a couple other um, options that are open to them. For example, I, I understand PFLAG succeeded. I know the Matthew Shepard Foundation was able to do so, too. And, and what I've learned, Rob, is that those organizations that have close ties to community banks, smaller banks, seem to be able to secure those lifelines faster and probably more successfully uh, than with the largest banks. And that seems to be mm -hmm. borne out across the economy. The smaller banks are, are more adept at um, uh, managing those, those close relationships. And they've done so in a very quick way in many cases. But, again, those are lifelines. 
those probably will give them 60 to 90 days of um, advantage um, to make sure that they can keep people on payroll and they can make things like their rents. Um, but one thing I think that in every case, too, they still are going to try to provide service across the board um, insofar as they can, but in a more limited way or more, I would say, essential way. The fundraising that GLAD did for the community centers recently and also that um, I think there's another um, a lift for community centers going on shortly uh, that's going to be a virtual gathering. Um, those efforts, and it depends on our exhaustion rates about supporting those things because mm -hmm. I'm told by some of these nonprofits that their donor relationships are actually in pretty good shape. What they're lacking are obviously there are other programs, for example, um, you know, corporate contributions that have very much um, uh, been hurt. Um, so they're really relying on individual giving more than anything else and then trying to figure out how mm -hmm. they can. Um, but, again, that's yeah. going to be tough to do and continue. Yeah. Um, what What would you, again, if, if they, if that, changes significantly if those organizations change they they um somewhat disappear um i mean the the issues are still there the heart's still there and once we've moved beyond the pandemic you know which maybe a year maybe a year and a half um what what would you advise as somebody who has been the backbone to a lot of these um organizations and their vis visions of growth what would you advise new people who wanted to start over? I don't know that I could give you a good answer. I think we're going to spend a lot of time at the community and local level where direct service is going to be the key because I think directly impacting lives is going to be the most important thing for health, um, uh, you know, uh, subsistence, rather, sustenance, um, so that people have access to services that uh, are missing or they're outside the safety net that other people have. Uh, Brody mentioned very importantly um, the coming Title VII cases. And I think, Brody, mm -hmm. like me, you're probably every Monday or Thursday uh, <laughs> following oh, yeah. Glue, the blog. Glue to the SCOTUS blog. Yeah, yeah. Right. And <laughs> I was watching that, and, and I thought it would be this last um, Monday. And I don't think they're even uh, coming together on Thursday. I'm not sure. But the thing that I was going to say is um, win or lose. And I think some of the consensus I have, I, I've heard, and Brody, you can tell me whether or not you agree, is that there's a likelier that we can um, succeed on the gender, uh, transgender case, than we can on sexual orientation. So we might get a mixed outcome. But no matter what, whether we lose it all, or win in part, um, I think it does is it refreshes the need of our community to organize for next January. I, I suspect um, we're going to have a growing impetus, uh, certainly electorally, um, certainly to change the leadership in Washington, but also with a possibility and even possible likelihood of taking over both houses of Congress, passing the Equality Act. Um, and that may that may put a shot of adrenaline into the community that is long overdue. Right. Yeah, that's, I that's, don't disagree. That's Bob. important. I'm sorry. Um, so uh, and I'll ask you both both this: what what is the this impact of the uh, nonprofits um, doing on our legal nonprofits? Um, are they also suffering like the more altruistic um, side of the nonprofit house? The legal eagles, you mean like Lambda? Yeah, and the legal eagles. Exactly. They they are, but they're pretty creative. I think now the uh, um, the new uh, now Kate Kendall has stepped down from NCLR and Amani uh, and Gordon uh, Rupert, who is there. Uh, I think she's quite. Um, she has an equal uh, what is it presence in the community, and I think maybe a gift for raising consciousness and and. Uh, and perceptions. And so I think too with Kevin Jennings at Lambda, um, I think they will, they recognize that's job one. Um, and a lot of the work that they've been able to do, they do need 
funding clearly, but they also totally um, uh, use um, uh, a lot of pro bono uh, law firms, and law firms are probably not as devastated as other others others are to um, support the community. So they may be in slightly, uh, you know, uh, better better position. Right. Right, I would, Brody. I would tend to agree with that. No, I, I would. I would tend to agree with that. I, I think that, um, and and given that, um, especially since I know Kevin and and the work he's done previously, um, and I, I know of her by reputation. Um, I, I think that uh, Bob's right uh, that they will be a little bit better uh, position. My concern and my worries. Uh, center around uh, the folks that, you know, have the shoe leather in the fight. Uh, Bob, I, I'm speaking, of course, of Ruby Corrado at Casa Ruby. I'm Hi. talking about our, our friends over on 14th Street at the D.C. Center, Toby Jenkins yeah. and the crew at Equality Oklahoma in Tulsa, uh, the LGBT Center in Los Angeles, which is a little bit better funded than most. But, I mean, these are all – places uh, that I would be a lot more concerned uh, in terms of not only visibility, but, you know, awareness, especially yeah. now that, you know, these federal programs are there, but, uh, you know, okay, here's a one-time shot that'll probably do a quick, you know, infusion of cash in and, and this will help out. But we also have to think in terms of strategically in the long term, and this is really where my concern is, uh, particularly in the case of California, I, I think that Senator Weiner and the LGBT Legislative Caucus is on to something. I, I think we really need to push Gavin uh, and elsewhere, uh, maybe enlisting, you know, uh, governors who are obviously thinking that way, like uh, Governor Polis of Colorado, uh, Governor Brown of Oregon, Governor Inslee of uh, Washington State, where, you know, we can get the focus reshifted there so that it is more of a legislative priority. My concern is that we're going to lose that voice uh, otherwise. And, uh, by the way, uh, I had a note slip to me, and I am to tell you greetings and hello from the publisher of the Los Angeles Blade, Troy Masters, and also uh, the news editor, Karen Oakham. So greetings from Los Angeles. Um, they, are, they are heroes in my chapter, too. <laughs> well, they're, they're great people. So that's kind of where I'm looking at it, and, and you know, you know, your work on, on numerous boards, uh, your current work uh, with Judy and Dennis's uh, operation there in Denver in particular, critical need, critical space. You know, you've been a longtime stakeholder in these types of, uh, you know, conversations. I mean, I, I just outlined what I think my priorities are. And, again, I'm speaking, you know, more in a commentator sense as a journalist who covers it. But, you know, from yeah. your perspective as a stakeholder, uh, someone – you know, who's in this space and who understands, you know, the metrics of this and the, and the data points behind it. I mean, specifically addressing what I just said in terms of like, like Rudy, for example, um, right. you know, give me a little bit of an answer looking at that, would you please? About, about those kinds of groups, the rubies of the world, people like her. Yeah, the rubies of the world. Yeah, exactly. Well, here, here's an issue that I think uh, all the listeners should be very sensitive to. And I know, uh, states and cities have been uh, important, key important um, uh, funders for groups like, uh, for, especially on homeless and um, and uh, people at the, on the margins. Um, and Ruby has depended on DC contracts as well, and I hope she continues to be. So provided that DC uh, is treated fully as a state. Um, and, and maybe you're all aware, listeners may be aware that in the last um, benefit uh, or, or legislation that was enacted for the states, they treated D.C. as a territory. And um, regrettably, that, that lost apparently, uh, I think, a, a matter of a couple million dollars in or more uh, in, in funding that goes directly through D.C. into organizations and nonprofits like um, Casa Ruby. And to fairly fund them, we still have to depend on federal uh, pass-through of those dollars into states and localities so that they can continue to do that. Those are lifelines. And without that, any state or any jurisdiction is going to fail. It's going to uh, – if, if people on the margins are failed, then uh, the community itself has failed. Rob? 
Yeah. Bob, so I, I want to kind of go to your, your book, um, Business Inside Out, Tapping Millions of Brand-Loyal Gay Consumers. Um, what what does that market look like now? And um, will will sort of the gay outreach, the LGBT outreach that a lot of uh, brands have made in like the last 10 years, is that going to disappear now because of other concerns from the, the population at large? It's not going to uh, evaporate. It's changed because – what I've most objected to in the last 25 years is exceptionalism, Rob, and meaning is that we we treat people the same, but then gay people are over here on the right or the left. We treat them differently. Um, what gay people are always asking the marketplace is, just see me. I want you to see me. Um, right. My family ha- deserves attention. My uh, needs and expectations should be met. I should have equal respect. And so what they're trying to find is a place where they can succeed in the economy, whether it's as an entrepreneur, as an employee, as a consumer, whatever it is, they want to say, see me and speak to me directly. Um, so companies still have an obligation to do that. But that, that means a good, that the best thing about that, though, is that if they see us, if they see gay people or they see trans people or they see – they should see everybody. They should see that um, – that bilingual couple, or they should see that um, aunt raising two kids as a family. In other words, bring all your identity to the to the table and be respected for your entire identity. Uh, having a same-sex relationship is only one aspect of who we are, and there's so many other ways of thinking about us. But we need health insurance. We need um, affordable housing. We need access to um, to uh, you know good food healthy food. We need all those things that everybody else needs. And I think what companies are going to be able to do is be more holistic and think about it in a more expansive way. You don't have to cater or curry or pander. You just have to say, I see you and I include you and I value you. You bring a contribution that I respect. And one thing that's happening now, um, you know, we are are entering May, which was has always been sort of a countdown to a summer of pride um, with huge, enormous events around the country, around the world. Um, uh, Virtually all of those in-person ones have been canceled. There is a global um, pride program that is being planned. um, Yeah. And I'm sure that will be wonderful in its own way, but it really won't be the same what what value are we going to lose in the gay market, you know, supporting our organizations, supporting our media by having that disappear this year? You know, I actually, I guess I don't want to be a Pollyanna, my friends, uh, at all. I think it actually will be a measure of our resilience um, because I think the hunger, the appetite to be back in the community and on the street is going to be so overwhelming um, that I think this, that this year is going to be, I hope, and I'm expecting it to be a one-off. Um, it'll be one for the history books. It'll be one that'll explain that um, we are all in this in a shared sacrifice. And I think shared sacrifice is not a bad way to think about it. It's sort of like thinking about uh, convincing the larger community that HIV and AIDS were a shared uh, obligation. Um, Gay people died and fought so that they could get care, treatment, and respect uh, to deal with HIV and AIDS. That that was a struggle, but that wasn't that long ago. I would say, what you know, 20 years ago, those were activists on the street. We're sort of in that away again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. What what um, if the nonprofits who are being threatened right now came to you and said, Bob, tell us what do we do? What would you tell them? If activists come and say, what do we do? I would say this. I would say this. I'd say keep in mind that our struggle is is no different from a lot of other people. The problem, uh, Rob, that we're facing is that we are not exceptionalized once again. Um, People in all communities are struggling. I think what we have to do is see it as a shared story, a shared uh, obligation. And actually, I would say this. When I see the story in Michigan today, 
people uh, masked up and bringing guns into uh, mm-hmm. into uh, uh, capitals. I think the gay community is a probably the best example of of uh, of activism that's legitimate, civic, honest, um, charitable, selfless. And I think that those are the things that we should emphasize is our ability to lead through this problem, through this challenge, and show the way that um, generosity, selflessness, and love for each other are better tonics than a gun. No, that's excellent. How how would you advise, and I totally agree with everything you just said, how would you advise those who want to express that to have the visibility? Because obviously these people these lunatics with um, flags wrapped around their faces, outrageous signs, you know, huge guns, you know, showing up and threatening a a state house are going to get much more attention than those of us sending out great memes from our computer shelter at home. How do we break through to the consciousness? That's going to be a challenge. I don't have an easy answer for that, Rob. But I think that we can model behaviors that are more likely to be followed and modeled. And I think at the same time, um, there's there is appropriate shaming um, and and revulsion of people towards these actions. Um, I think also, frankly, I think in our political, um, I think we're going to win the political debate on this topic that will, by November, create a, uh, a a change cycle that we're going to own. Guys with guns are not going to own it. People who vote will own it. Right, right. Brody? I think, and, and I'm going to follow up a little bit with that, Bob, looking at the political landscape, looking at the landscape as we're pushing forward, this is a game changer. You know, you're, you know, you're invested in the nonprofit space. Um, you're also invested uh, into the media space. What advice are you going to be giving your clients? Are you going to be giving people such as uh, our mutual friend, Kathy Renner, for example, uh, right. what's going to be necessary steps, okay, in moving forward because the dynamics of the conversation will change as a result of the COVID-19 crisis? Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, so, giving advice to activists about how they can do this. I'm sorry. Uh, Brody seems to have I lost dropped off. Sec- I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, we lost Brody. He's actually uh, uh, off the board right now. Oh. So, well, um, one thing is, I know there's a, a very significant plan for a very large nonprofit Instagram Pride celebration, and in it, they'll be able to. Um, um, create both, I think, memorable storytelling and images and also fundraising channels for um, organizations during that window. Um, Instagram is not what we all think of as a gay media. It's not, but it's a very gay popularized one. And I think that even groups like the the Blade Foundation can play a role in those things. Some of the Mm -hmm. uh, media, the gay media, particularly have uh, nonprofit arms that could benefit from those kinds of programs. Okay. All right. Fair enough, Rob. Brody, back. No, we lost you for a minute, And I think – I I know Judy and Dennis Shepard intend to play a role in that. I think we're going to get some significant uh, uh, public um, celebrities involved. And I think that that's going to really help. That it's it's clear to me that we have a lot of champions in our midst and allies in our midst, and we have to tap into them to to see us as a cause and not just uh, a you know a community. I think you're right. I think that that's going to be. And yeah, I, I dropped off for a second there, a little technical glitch. Um, I, I think that that's going to be critical. And, and but I, what I would as a reporter and as someone who follows this sort of thing, the first question I always have is, are these conversations occurring in these spaces by these stakeholders? You know, what can we expect moving forward? Because there's two parts to the conversation, as you know, Bob, and that's the right now, this is what's going on, but also we have to look forward and we have to look at, you know, what lies beyond this. Uh, Yes. Um, well, the one thing I was going to say is I think I think we have to have a plan for 2020 
that is focused on November, ostensibly November above all else. Um, and then I think at that time, by the time we get towards the end of the year, um, mm-hmm. I think I'm hopeful in expecting that we'll have more breakthroughs along the way about um, the wisdom of certain states to manage this and give us the opportunity to break out of isolation. If we can break out of isolation, then I think a number of these, um, if they're resilient organizations, will be able to come back to life again. I think organizing organizing for November is going to be our priority. I don't disagree. Actually, that that was one of the things that, you know, I've been kind of, Looking at, we've had several conversations about that. Rob and I have actually discussed that off air uh, as well as on air. Um, I think that one of the things that I worry about um, is, uh, and of course this has just become part apparently of the political cycle, is we're starting to see another balkanization within the Democratic Party. Um, And I have a concern that with that balkanization going on, um, that that messaging won't get out there, the effect won't be out there, and there won't be that sense of unity that will make that final push to change quite literally the math when it comes down into the electoral process, okay, to get, you know, he who shall not be named out from behind (laughs) the resolute desk in the Oval. Anyway, Rob? Yeah, I kind of wanted to follow up with that. Actually, go a little deeper dive, and especially Bob, since you're, you know, the communications PR um, expert. Um, I was going to say God, but um, we'll 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 <laughs> we'll downgrade you to supreme expert. Um, so we've got a situation where uh, Joe Biden is not able to be as out and visible as a certain other person who has weekly conferences good, bad, indifferent, um, Lysol ingesting or not. Um, and so there's, there's just simply a visibility issue. But then there's the, this underground or underlying issue that is a paradoxical um, uh, problem between what was the Me Too movement and, you know, supporting kind of a um, – you know, the, the assumptive um, uh, truth of any accuser and now Joe Biden having a similar problem at his doorstep and the, the potential of us um, falling apart from within between purisms in, in that kind of conversation. So, uh, Bob, what do we do about that? Well, you know, it's interesting. I've seen it's blowing up today on Twitter uh, because of um, of um, Chris Hayes, uh, who has been covering uh, the Tara Reid story. I hope that they, they are wise enough to try to deal with it uh, very quickly, because I have a feeling that um, it does echo or mirror sort of um, Hillary's campaign and their failure to deal with the, the crazy, bogus email uh, issue early on and getting right. pinned down that over and over again. I have a feeling that he has the ability, and I think the campaign has the ability to put it away, and I think that that's um, something that I would hope that they would deal with soon. It, in fact, it, it sounds like um, Biden's going to be on uh, Joe Scarborough tomorrow to do so. Well, that would be excellent, because it, it from what I understand, the, you know, his whereabouts and – uh, everything should be well documented by his office and his calendar. Um, yeah. I personally have have concerns over the um, the allegations because there are factors about them that are pretty much unlike almost any other allegations I've ever heard. I have not ever heard somebody come out with an accusation and then up the accusation later on, you know, for a fact where um, usually the, the, the lead, the, the thing is, that is most compelling is the first accusation. Um, and there's just so many aspects of this, um, these accusations um, that are troublesome in terms of their credibility. 
in in my opinion. Um, Brody, there, there's a lot there's a lot there that has to be unpacked because of um, there's some real holes in the story, of course. But at the same time, the, it as it developed, it added so much in terms of um, uncharacteristic behavior that really does challenge us all. Um, and also, of course, then we have to put it in context with the um, the person he's running against. So to me, I, I, I don't know how I square all those things yet, but I do want to have it as right. transparent as we make it. We owe it, we owe it to the Me Too movement to take it very seriously and very sensitively and respectfully. I don't disagree, Bob and, and Rob. I, my problem is that we went from uncomfortable touching to a Bill Clinton moment, okay? And, and yep. you know, it was the sort of rubbish that we saw published by the Washington Post when the Ken Starr report was put out there. Um, you know, I'm making direct reference to the cigars. I have a problem with that. My also other problem with it, um, in full transparency, I know the vice president. I covered him when he was a United States senator from Delaware. I spent time with him on the train as he was on his way home to Wilmington, and I was on my way to New York, and we would have numerous conversations. Um, I had several conversations with him when he was the vice president. Here's the other part of it. If this was actually one of those circumstances, I am committed to the idea that we would have heard about this during the 07-08 campaign. It would have made it into the 2012 campaign. It very certainly would have probably been an issue raised at some point in 2016. You know, there's just, there's too many holes here. I don't want to discount the Me Too movement, okay? But this is one particular time, you know, as a former member of the Washington Press Corps, I have a real issue with this one because I just see too many areas that you could drive a Mack truck through, okay, in terms of credibility. And the other part of it, okay, is that she's got some really documented on-the-record statements about her, you know, love and affection for, you know, the current president of the Russian Federation that would make one actually pause a little bit. Um, and, and again, uh, I don't want to discount, and, and as, a, as a victim of sexual assault myself, you know, I would never, ever, want to be in a position of degradation of a story uh, of an assault survivor, period, and stop, won't do that. But this is one instance where, like Rob said, the, the thing that sent my antenna up and the red flags flying was the escalation from uncomfortable touching to a Bill Clinton-esque moment, if you will, and that's where I had a, that I had an immediate problem with that. Um, I agree. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where, you know, it's all about messaging. That's basically your lane, your space, as you know. But for mine as a reporter, it's I, there's too many questions that, you know, get raised uh, by this particular thing. And, and that just happens to be part of it. Um, that said, uh, in a return uh, to the space, um, point blank. How much of the LGBTQ media do you think is going to be left after the shakeup? Because let's face it, there's going to be some casualties, Bob. There will be, uh, and and they could be very surprising ones. But the funny thing, um, also equally true, may be there may be other startups too. Um, a lot of the smallest groups too. And I remember when Tracy Bain did this long ago in Chicago created a virtual company because uh, they don't have any office space. They work completely uh, virtually. And um, that's a model that uh, actually startups do all the time. So even if, in the sense that some are uh, gone by the white side, others may indeed come back uh, to fill voids like that. I don't see any national models, but I do see local ones. Well, that would be my question because I, I think, you know, the national models uh, have been, quite frankly, on a roller coaster, uh, particularly uh, in the last two years with the acquisition of the two flagship pieces, Advocate and Out by Pride Media right. uh, from Here Media. But, uh, you know, I, I, the local 
to me as a journalist, and, and Karen and Troy constantly emphasize this point with me, uh, I am a longtime, uh, obviously, fan and reader of the Washington Blade because when I was living and stationed in D.C., that was my go-to paper, you know, the, the one up Connecticut Avenue to 1620 to grab it out of the rack as soon as it got delivered at Lambda Rising every Friday. But, you know, it's the local that, you know, is really the glue in, in many cases uh, that gives it a real sense of community as opposed to the national, you know, and I'm not, you know, offering critique of our national counterparts, but, you know, my concern is, is I look at the fine work that these local papers do, the Bay Area Reporter in San Francisco, Windy, uh, Windy City Times, Georgia Voice, Dallas Voice, Boom Magazine in St. Louis, Karen and Troy, the Los Angeles played, you know, Kevin Knapp and his crew, Michael Labors, Chris Johnson, Lucha Barrow, and so forth at the Washington Blade. You know, these are critical parts. Mark Siegel and his crew in Philly. So these are all critical components of it. I mean, this is these are the voices and the stories that need to be continued to be told. My concern is we're going to lose some of those voices. And what do we do to make up for that loss, Bob? Well, in that case, I was going to say the, the ones you identified are clearly longtime friends and allies of mine, too. I think, actually, they're the ones that are likeliest to endure. Um, it's the others, I think, that are not as good business people are going to have the biggest mm-hmm. struggle. Uh, I think that's that's truer. Can I do this? I actually I, I have to apologize to you both, my friends, but I actually have a Zoom con- confirmation at um, at 6 o'clock, and I must do that. So I do apologize. I would love to continue this in, in, in the future if you're willing, but um, today – I just find myself uh, between a rock and a hard place to try to do that. No problem. We want to thank you so much for being, being on here. I appreciate you so much, everything you do and uh, what your insights and expertise. And um, yeah, absolutely. You have a a seat here anytime. What you're doing. Thank you for, for your service. Bob, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you both. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye. So well, um, would be the first yeah, time that, that, that we're was... stuck talking to each other. <laughs> well, no, we've <laughs> we've done that before. We've, <laughs> we've done that. Before. We have we have we have talked before. Yeah. No. And we're we're actually closing closing the the uh, close to the end of the show here anyway. Um, yeah. It's. Uh, I thought Bob's insights were were um, very insightful. Um, I'm actually for the emergence of a new LGBTQ media um, as a result of this. I mean, he pointed out to talent that is sitting out there now that he thinks could morph into um, new platforms and everything else. But I really do think that you know this this there could be some benefit, silver lining in this in that there mm-hmm. are new media forms, new media expressions that are, um, you know, speak maybe even more directly to the millennial population and to the uh, younger than them population. I'm not sure what, what we categorize those guys as at, at this point. Um, but, you know, incorporating new platforms that the traditional media had not quite embraced or understood or, or had been part of. So um, I think there's, I think there's some real positives there. My concern is what you brought up Rody early on is Mm -hmm. we have at risk population, parts of our population right now, a a lot of people of color, LGBTQ people of color, transgender people of color and otherwise um, youth who are closeted and, are cut off from resources that they were otherwise having availed to them. Um, you know, a lot of those kinds of things are present here and now and um, are falling off the radar somewhat. And if the organizations that reach out to them and are there for them are also threatened and potentially disappearing, um, that's devastating. It is. I, I And I think that part of what we need to look towards, you know, moving forward um, is that we do need uh, to take a look at how we're going to convey the voices and the messages going forward. Um, the youngest generation, uh, they call themselves the Zoomers or Gen Z, as opposed to the Boomers, which would be us, 
Um, right. This is, and I should know, you know that because I have two of them in, in yeah, my you, home. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, you actually have two Zoomers that you deal with. Um, but I, I think that the most important thing is that you know it really is going to have to be conveying uh, information, news, community, and resources um, in a new dynamic and in a new way and utilizing these platforms and, and the platforms that are yet to come uh, that haven't been thought up yet. Um, you know, when you look at just Facebook, uh, and it's only really been around since, what, 2005, um, and it kind of morphed out of nowhere. And, and there was another operation, uh, MySpace, that was operating for a while until Facebook kind of, I don't know, swallowed up its audience, mm-hmm. uh, that – I'm sure that there's going to be something, you know, coming forward. Uh, Bob was talking about Instagram, for example. Uh, and, of course, we have TikTok, Instagram, and some of these other uh, platforms, Snapchat. But I think that Instagram and, and some of these other areas and other spaces uh, is where LGBTQ media types need to become stakeholders because they really do need to get into those spaces, and, and they need to evaluate them, and they need to be able to uh, message through them. Um, and, right. and I think that that's a critical need. Um, and, you know, it, uh, I have this discussion frequently with my colleagues. Uh, you know, what, what do we need to be looking towards uh, moving forward? How are we going to get the messaging out there, news delivery? How do we structure the news delivery? Even down to the way we categorize the news. Um, the, right. the traditional you know, methodology of this is what it is in a formatic way of news, sports, entertainment, that's changed. Uh, You have a lot of crossover. So we need to also pay attention uh, to that as well. Um, You know, so for me, go ahead. For me, I'm just looking at it that way, you know. Yeah. When, when, uh, as part of the technology world that I come from, um, there was a concept that was called the killer app. And the killer app was the emerging technology that usually killed off, literally killed off the previous format, the previous um, platform. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, Amazon killing off the bookstore, you know, et cetera, mm-hmm. type, type of thing. And I think that what is probably what we're going to lean towards is that we need the new killer app both on LGBTQ media as well as um, the nonprofits, you know, where instead of big events and celebrity-studded gatherings that, you know, they come together with apps that are on everybody's cell phones and, you know, communicate that way and reach out and, and um, you know, a complete revamp of the way that they used to do things and adapt it to the way people are now receiving information. And the, the um, pandemic has just altered that significantly, and we'll see for how long and what parts are permanent and what parts are going away. But with that, we are out of time. I want to thank you, Brody, for being on board. Um, I want to thank our listeners. Also remind you that um, if you like our programming, there is more on Saturday with Out in Santa Cruz. You can listen to that at www.ksco.com. That's 7 p.m. Pacific time. Saturday, 10 p.m. Eastern Time. And as for us at Rated LGBT Radio, we will be back here next week, same time, same place. You can find us on your podcast app. Um, and please tell your friends and tell them to subscribe. And we can't wait to talk to you again soon. You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Step into the world of power, loyalty 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.